Well, uh, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, for those of you who have been on since the beginning, this is take two, at least at the beginning. But uh, I, what I shared at the beginning was simply that, uh, how grateful we are for the Lord's arranging uh, so many uh, technologies and a way for us to gather together during this time, even though uh, we're separated physically, uh, we have the chance to meet together by the grace of the Lord. Uh, and I, uh, I very much uh, have in my mind's eye all of the saints uh, sitting in folding chairs in the uh, basketball court at Harvey Cedars and uh, am thankful for the chance that uh, we have to be together. Um, we're going to begin uh, by uh, reading our theme verses. If you could uh, turn with me, please, to uh, Zechariah chapter 9 and uh, verse 9. We'll read these together. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then if we could turn together to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, let's see, we'll be in verse 56. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then if we could turn to the Old Testament, uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 13 and 14. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And then if we could turn to the Gospel of Matthew, just have two more verses to read. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 16. A very familiar set of verses to us. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And then finally, if we could turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 25. Um, we'll read uh, verse 24. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this afternoon that we can gather together. Lord, we know that you are with us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the uh, never letting go and giving us the chance to gather together, even though these times are so difficult. So we just want to say this afternoon, Lord, that might you be glorified in every heart, every home where there's a monitor on. And Lord, as I share into this camera, but Lord, we know that you are you have brought us together and you are the faithful one. So, Lord, we thank you. Be glorified in Jesus name. Amen. So, uh, brothers and sisters, this is a, a challenging time, as has been shared already um, by um, our brothers. Uh, outwardly, there's uh, quite a lot of turmoil. And uh, and it's during this time that the Lord in his great wisdom put on the hearts of our brothers a topic. And this topic is that we have a coming king. And it's in this coming king that we have victory. Now, we shared in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that this victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our coming king. How do we experience victory in these days? When I think for so many of us, it feels so elusive. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, that probably the difficulties that we're experiencing right now, they, they predated the current pandemic. I think for some time now, even in my own life, I felt that there's this weight of the work of the world in every one of our hearts the rush and the, um, the, the pressure of, uh, of the expectations of what mankind feels is our purpose. And our brother shared it this morning that for some of us, it is the, the chasing after uh, the um, recognition of the world. Um, uh, for others of us, it's the pursuit of a good job or the riches in this world. And for such a long time, even though maybe we haven't really spoken it in our own lives, I think before COVID, we were all feeling this already, that something in our heart that lifts us up and flies was being um, taken away uh, a little by little. And so by the Lord's wisdom, he put a topic in the hearts of our brothers, that there's still a victory. And that victory is in the Lord Jesus. Because we all know we've chased victory in other places. And for so long and in so many ways, we haven't been able to find it. But today, the Lord has put on our heart these two verses. That we have a coming king. And that coming king is the Lord Jesus. And it's in him that we can find our victory. Now, sometimes when we share about the coming king, our hearts are, are to the future. And like our, our brother shared on our first evening, that sometimes we're thinking about this just someplace uh, in the future. Um, and, I, and I feel like we might be a little bit like Mary when her brother died and the Lord Jesus came to their town and Mary came to the Lord in tears. And she said, you know, if he had come a little bit earlier, I don't think he would have died. And then the Lord, our Lord said to to her, Lazarus is going to rise again. And Mary, in her heart, said, I know that he will be raised in the resurrection on the last day. And that is to say that she had faith that something wonderful would be coming. And as if she was hanging on, her faith was hanging on by a thread. Then in the future, this would happen. And we feel like that sometimes, that right now, our life is like we were stuffed in a a dryer and we're tumbling all over the place, but we hold on by a a thread of faith that um, there will be a victory. And brothers and sisters, this is true, that on that day, there will be a resurrection and there will be life. But then as she was weeping and telling the Lord of her 
hanging by a thread faith. Our Lord looked at her and said something very wonderful. He said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And he was standing right there. It was, he was there in the moment. Not only would it have been true that in, in his time that there was going to be on that day a resurrection and life. And it is true that in that day, he will be our coming king. But what the Lord was telling her was, I am right here. And I am the resurrection and the life. And so by the Lord's grace, uh, the brothers even mentioned it, that the burden on their hearts was, he is the coming king. And we can hope in him, but he is right here with us. And so in our coming king today, that there might be a victory for every one of us, even when we feel like it is so um, elusive. And so brothers and sisters, by the Lord's grace, we'd like to consider our coming king, who is our victory today. And in my time, in, my, in the two afternoons, I would like to share on the life of our uh, coming king, because as we've shared, our victory is in him. And in the past, in the past, so much of our hope has been put elsewhere. But in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, we're reminded that behold, our king is coming. And as, they, as, as Zechariah describes him in this prophecy, he describes two components of our coming king. Number one, he is just, and he is the enabler of salvation. And so he is. And then the second part, it's almost such a contrast that he is humble and he's coming on a donkey. And so two seemingly opposite things are brought together in our coming king. And in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, we shared that profound moment at Caesarea Philippi when the Lord, he had been praying and he comes to the disciples and he asks the disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? Who is the son of man? And they say, well, some have said John the Baptist and others have said Elijah and others have said Jeremiah. And then the Lord says to them, well, who do you say that I am? And we remember in Peter in that moment of revealing said to him, you are the Christ and you are the son of the living God. And the Lord said to him that this has been revealed to you by my father. And it's upon this revealing, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against her. And so in this moment, the re- what was the revealing? The revealing was, who is the son of man? He is the son of God. And as we consider the two descriptors that Zechariah mentioned, he's just an enabler of salvation, the son of God and all of his power and his ability. And he comes on a donkey, seated on a donkey. And we see here that he is the son of man. And so in this picture, We see our Lord Jesus, who came as the Son of Man, and he came, and he was the Son of God. This is such a um, a profound uh, uh, revealing that the Father had given to Peter. And um, I think that in the past, when I had thought about it, I thought it was a a revelation for that moment in time that was so high. But as we consider our coming king today and what he's doing today, the Lord put on my heart that it is so important to see that we have a victory in the son of man and we have a victory in the son of God. Not only to achieve our final victory, that resurrection on the last day and the building up of the body of Christ but there are daily victories there. It's really quite a miracle for any Christian to make it through any day choosing to be with the builder 
rather than with the destroyer. Because what the Lord said in his revealing to Peter was, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. And so in this statement, what we see is that the Lord is daily building. He's building something of great value to him. And the devil, he is daily tearing down. And so we see these two, uh, this contest of two purposes, one purpose to build up and the other to tear down. And every day that you, that you and I choose to be in the hands of the builder rather than to be in the hands of the destroyer is a day of victory. We can think back to, as an example, when Brother Nee was in solitary confinement in China. And if we would have looked at the man withering away physically and um, uh, uh, abandoned, we would see with our eyes uh, the opposite of what was true in the eyes of heaven. Every day is a victory. As long as we choose to entrust ourselves into the hands of the builder. And so by the grace of the Lord, we would like to share on these two um, descriptors of our coming king. The son of man is the son of God. And the son of God came as a son of man. And if we only see A, part A, which is he is the son of man. Well, that was similar to the Jews who would call him rabbi the great teacher, but they couldn't see anything beyond that. And if we only see him as the son of God, well, this is very important, but even the demons, the demons used to say, I know who you are. You are the son of God. And the Lord would, would tell them to, 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 to be quiet because the Lord came for a very great purpose. And in that great purpose, was it was all bound together with coming as a son of man. And if people could not see him as the son of man, then there was something lost of what his intentions were. So today we would like to share that the son of man became, the son of God became the son of man. And tomorrow we would like to share that the son of man is the son of God. And in these capacities that the Lord might daily give us victories unto that victory. And that we might have be reminded of what it is to be filled with purpose um, in our daily lives and yet look forward with hope. So the son of man. The son of man is an old term in the Bible. In the book of Ezekiel, the uh, Holy Spirit used uh, the term over 90 times, um, but it was referring really that we are all humans, that we are born of flesh and blood. Um, but in the Old Testament, there were also prophetic hints that the Son of Man and the Son of God, the story had not yet come. Our brother shared about Psalm 22 on the first evening about the anguish of a Messiah who would, come, who would be a, a, a man. And in Isaiah 53, that there was a suffering servant. Um, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, there is a great prophecy, a vision. And uh, Daniel shares the vision of the Ancient of Days who is sitting on the throne of fire. And there's one who is brought before him to be presented. This one would be given the kingdom. So he was a king. And the dominion, his dominion would be everlasting. And his kingdom would never fail and could not be brought down. And when we are introduced to him, we are introduced to him and he is one like the son of man. And so what we see in this prophecy from Daniel is that the coming king was the son of man. And that there was a link there of something really wonderful. And... Um, but nothing I don't think could have prepared mankind for Bethlehem because those who are waiting for the Messiah, 
they were probably waiting for one who was going to come to the earth fully armored with all these ribbons of glory of his achievements. And what was not to be expected is that when this one prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 was to come, he came a baby born into this world. And he would grow up in such a, uh, an ordinary way. He would learn to obey his earthly parents. He had chores. He learned a craft. Um, and as he grew, he referred to himself over 80 times uh, as the son of man. Well, let me rephrase that. In, in the book of Matthew, he referred to him, he was referred to himself 32 times as the son of man. And there were repetitions in other uh, uh, chapters of the Bible, but over 80 times in the Bible, he was referred to as the son of man. This was his favorite name for himself. Now, what we begin to see then is this was not just um, necessary for his offering for us on the cross, that there was something bigger. And, um, it was a critical, it was a critical portion of his plan that the son of man might come to this earth. Now, one year ago um, at the Harvey Cedars conference, our theme verse was the glory of God. And I remember that I had prepared and I had prepared about this, this old glory, you know, the glory of uh, Mount Sinai. And, and, um, and I remember brother Kong uh, shared and he shared for 15 minutes. And in that short sharing, he shared something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. He, he shared about the old glory. And then he said, but this is not what we're here to share about. He said, we're here to share, share about the glory of God seen in the son of man, the glory of the son of man. And uh, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I. Um, I, I went back home and I, I read about this. And what I realized was his coming as a son of man is really one of the uh, uh, most planned out uh, of greatest wisdom uh, uh, acts uh, of, of divine uh, 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 purpose. And um, we remember when, um, the Lord was tempted by Satan. Satan knew. His second temptation, he brought him up to a high peak. And he told the Lord, why don't you jump off? Because if you jump off and you're the son of God, the angels will prevent you from hitting the ground. And what the temptation was, was to say that you are the son of God, but to strip you of your designation as the son of man, right? He was saying, jump, because any son of man will hit the ground and make impact. But you are the son of God. Why don't you jump? And the angels will catch you. And it was that there was something about the son of man's being here on the earth that was tactical and critical to our being able to make it through every day, having uh, some sense of what it is to have victory. The Lord resisted that temptation. He lived life on this earth with no advantages, always with the capacity to fall, exposed to temptation and accusation. And the Lord said, the son of man has nowhere to, uh, to lay his head. So the Lord came to this earth um, purposeful, without advantage, but filled with purpose. His intention was that he might be able to come alongside of us to touch the leper, to uh, uh, hold a child. And he knew that this was so crucial to our going forward in him. And so um, when the temptation come to, to came to abandon those things, he would not. And so as we search the scriptures, there are four themes to our victory in the Son of Man that we would like to consider.
So if you could please uh, grab your Bibles again. Luke chapter uh, 19 will be our first. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus, the the, uh, uh, tax collector. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, brothers and sisters, I'd like to start by sharing a story in my memory. Um, I remember uh, many years ago when my first son uh, was was a little boy. Uh, We lived in San Diego at that time, and uh, uh, we went to Ikea. And we were in Ikea, and we were going, you know, in Ikea, you it's kind of like COVID times. You, you have to follow the arrows and you can't go in the wrong direction. And so we were going through Ikea when suddenly my wife and I realized that we couldn't find him. He was gone. And um, so we began looking for him and, and the minutes passed. And I don't think he was that much time, but you know, it felt like a lot of time. And I was trying to maintain my composure, right? Because, you know, you don't want to seem like a, uh, you know, you're not a normal person. And so I was trying to call his name and, you know, do it very calmly and look around. Are you here? Are you here? And of course, in the background, I hear my wife who's just screaming at the top of her lungs because her only intention was to find him. She didn't care about how she looked or, or, uh, uh, or what other people were thinking. She just was calling out his name as loud as possible. And you know, in the end, they found him. One of the other customers found him. And of course they could put two and two together that there was this woman crying out loud and then this boy who was crying. And he, um, and so uh, there are two things I remember. Number one was determination. Um, My wife was determined to find him. Um, and the second thing I remembered was that he was in a part of the store that we had walked by already. And so it wasn't that he was lost because of where he was standing. He was lost because he was not with the persons he was supposed to be with. And so in this, in this moment, what I realized for Zacchaeus and for me is that for all of us who have been lost, Um, we might be very familiar with our surroundings in the world. We might be doing, in fact, very well. But we are not with the one with whom we are supposed to be. And so, um, so the Lord tells the crowd and Zacchaeus that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so his intention was that I am going to find you. And it doesn't matter where we are. His determination is to find us. In Luke chapter 15, verse four, we're told a parable by the Lord about a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. And um, the the, and if you still have your, your Bible in Luke chapter 19, if you could just turn back a couple of verses to chapter, a couple of chapters to chapter 15, um, verse four, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And so here we see the heart of God, that if one of us gets lost, that he is going to come to find us. But the, the, this time, as I read the verse, there's a really wonderful word, and it's in every translation. And that word is until. The Bible reads, he will go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So that means that when we are lost, the Lord comes after us. And the only way he will stop is until he finds us. So the wording here is telling us of this determination in the, um, 
in the Lord's heart to uh, find those who should be with him. And I remember also when my daughter was little and she would lose something and uh, she asked me to help her find it. And it wouldn't have done, and she was two feet tall or, or maybe taller, but I, I would not have looked up on the top shelf of our bookshelf. I remembered I'd have to put myself in her life and come down to where she was and look at her, um, her eye level, where she might have put things. And so it speaks of this determined Lord who will not rest until he finds us when we are lost, that he needed to come to this world to find us as a son of man, that he wanted to know all of the places where we might get hidden or hide ourselves and all of the uh, places where we might get trapped, uh, the darkest places. And so the Lord's heart was that the son of man is going to come find us, find me. And, uh, and uh, I cannot, and, and, and in order for him to find us, he was going to look for me where I was. Now, brothers and sisters, why is this victory? This is victory because um, all of us have gotten lost. All of us, even now maybe, are lost. And we may not even know it because we're so familiar with our surrounding. We're so used to the the, the the pace of the world. And we've gotten caught in that flow and we don't even know it. But brothers and sisters, there's one who is coming after us and he will not stop until we are brought back to where we're supposed to be. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now we always remember Zacchaeus as a wee little man. And he was, he was a short guy. But where he had fallen was, he had gotten caught up in the pursuit of the world and of money. And he was defrauding people to get it. And so when he found, he was found, he told the Lord, if I, if I took a dollar from anyone, I'm going to give him $4 back. His, uh, his purpose was that uh, all those things that I was chasing, uh, I'm no longer going to chase. And then similarly, Levi, Matthew, he was a tax collector and he was sitting at his table one day, like I have a table right now. He was doing his job and just realizing that I'm totally lost. I mean, at some point, maybe he didn't consciously know it, but he was searching for something else. And he was there waiting and, uh, and the Lord came to find him, called him out. And so he came out and he brought all of his tax collector friends together to meet him. And, um, and the Lord saved them. And Matthew, 32 times in his gospel, wrote of when the Lord referred to himself as the son of man. Because Matthew knew that the Lord came to where he was to find him. The Lord came to the tax collecting table to find him. Why is this a victory, brothers and sisters? It's because if you are lost, someone is looking for you. And he wants to find you. And the reason he wants to find us is he wants to save us. Save us to purpose, to fulfillment. And so this is the first uh, lesson we learn about the son of man who is the coming king. It is not outside of his heart to come find the lowest person in the darkest place and to save us. Now, the second is in Mark chapter 10. And, uh, and I'm sorry, brothers, I don't remember what time I'm supposed to finish. And not only that, my clock is three hours behind yours. So I hope I'm doing okay. If not, someone can send me a, a note. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 45. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Um, you have another half hour. Okay, thank you. Uh, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Now, the Son of God, we had mentioned earlier in Daniel that there's a description of the throne of God. It's this awesome, th uh, awesome throne with fire all around it. And so the Son of God was used to the thrones of glory. And um, he, of all people, had the right to be served. But the Son of Man, he was the opposite. Um, through earthly eyes, he was so strange. He was born into a poor family, placed in an animal's feeding trough when he was born. And he grew up serving. It was his choice. And on his, the eighth day of his life, he was brought to the temple to be presented. And Simeon was there. And Simeon saw this poor young couple who came in. And uh, the son of, of God uh, uh, had become literally the son of man. And um, uh, my, uh, my son, when he was uh, in school last year, sang a song for the holidays. What a strange way to save the world. Um, and uh, uh, it was such a strange way. Because if we looked at this, this baby, it made so little human sense um, that the chief glory would become the chief servant. And he came to serve us. And um, it was a miraculous thing. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when John and James were competing as to see that they wanted to have the place of glory and the Lord told them, you have to serve one another. And, and, and he said, and I am the chief servant. There is a victory in being a servant. And carnal Peter could not see it. When the Lord came around to wash Peter's feet, um, you weren't going to do that, sir, in not so many words. You are not washing my feet. Um, my inner, my uh, my computer is saying my internet is unstable. I'm praying that the Lord will keep us going. Um, so, uh, am I still on? Oh, thank you. Um, You're still on. There was a slight. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Um, so. Um, I had shared about carnal Peter that the Lord was coming around the last supper table and washing, he had girded himself and was washing their feet. When he came to Peter, Peter essentially was saying, you're not going to do that to me. You are the son of God. And I know it. Um, and you cannot wash my feet. He said it very respectfully, of course. And the Lord told him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And that is to say that the son of man is the king of kings, but his heart is always to serve. And for us, brothers and sisters, we need to, we need to know to let go because we need to learn to let the king of kings take care of us in our daily lives. And it's not easy because in that letting go, we are essentially trusting the outcome of our life to the Lord Jesus, not to our control. And so all this flow and rush of the world may not be where he wants us to go. So when we let him serve us, it may actually be that we are going to go in a direction different than the world. And so when Peter came around to, I'm sorry, when the Lord came around to Peter to wash his feet, the Lord said to him, I have to wash your feet. I have to serve you. I have to clean you. And then because there's a purpose and that purpose is, you are meant to have a part in me. That is your purpose. There's something that I've designed for you, that you are a building block of something that I am building. You are meant to have a part in me. And so when Peter saw it, he realized. And brothers and sisters, we started by saying that every day that a Christian says, I would rather be in the hands of the builder than in the hands of the destroyer. Every day is a victory. And so what was happening here, Peter was seeing that I have to live every day as a building block. I want a part in you, Lord. I don't want a part in the world. I want a part in you. And so what he was saying is, I have to serve you. And I have to be able to clean you 
and take care of you. Now, saints, this is a tough thing because we have been separated from him and we are taught to solve our problems. And, and there are some who have it, have it as a disease almost like I do. Um, it's that we, um, we take pride in, you know, working hard and, 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 and it, it gets to the point sometimes where it is, it is a, it is an idol of great threat, but the Lord was saying that you have to let me care for you. And I remember, um, that I was at a prayer meeting once and there was a younger brother who was, came to us from another part of the, of the country. And he prayed so thankful that he could be a part of the house of God. What he meant was that he could be with us and we were together. And it is so true that one of the great blessings of our life is that we can be um, together as members in the house of God. And that's because we are all building blocks. We all have a part in him and we all share another thing. And that is that the son of man came to serve and we have found him in our life and we have permitted him to serve us. And in that serving of us, um, it's um, that our faith um, is made real. That when there's something of concern and we let go and we give it to the Lord, that the Lord has taken care of that. And our faith begins to grow. And uh, the other thing that we learn is that as he served us, we begin to learn how to serve one another, that we learn how to bear each other's burdens. Why is this a victory? Because brothers and sisters, the King of Kings by the Son of Man came to equip the church to be built up. And he came to equip by serving us. And we became to re, we began to realize our place in him. And not only that, we saw how he served us and we learned to serve one another. And so every day that passes by that we are hands in, in the hands of the builder is a day of victory. Again, on the outside, it may not seem so, but on the inside, there's something being built up for glory. The third, and the third and the fourth are, are, are connected, is in Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll read verses 7 through 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became, became, to, all of, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So brothers and sisters, by way of reminder, we share that he came to seek us and save us. He came to serve us and equip the church. And these are part of that remarkable purpose. And in the third portion here, what we read is that he came to learn as the son of man and to be made perfect. Now, how can the perfect one be made perfect? From the point of view of his being our perfect lamb of God, nothing had changed. He was sinless, he was unblemished, but he learned through suffering. He learned and, and drew near to us. We remember that he underwent great physical suffering he was misunderstood, and he underwent the greatest spiritual suffering, being separated from his father. These things had never happened before. In preparation for these, as he learned through his life, he learned to obey earthly parents. He learned what it was to not have a place to rest his head. He learned to co-work with human beings. Now, brothers and sisters, if you've ever been to a brother's meeting, you know that this is not the easiest thing in the world. We, in all of our, um, our wacky ways, but the Lord came to be among us and to be uh, one of us. And he chose to experience these, these things. And brothers and sisters, I, I've shared this example before, but it's been made more real to me. I, I always love the... Um, support groups at our hospital. 
because it is a it is a thing to go through being a loved one of someone who has um, a dangerous disease. Um, and I always remember that when people come to the hospital and uh, and we tell them what their diagnosis is, it's very important for us to be able to guide them to a place where they can meet other people who have gone through the same thing. And so I, I, if I were to tell them this is gonna be okay, it carries far less weight than if they were to go to one of these support groups and meet someone who has gone through the same thing. That, that relation of experience has great power and it helps us. And brothers and sisters, more recently in our family, we have gone through um, this process in, 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 in multiple people. And I remember that uh, a couple of weeks ago, a young man came to my clinic who um, had stage four cancer and I was chatting with him and I had, I had changed. I gave him my cell phone number. I gave him my email. I told him, if you need anything, you call me um, and I'll take care of everything for you. You won't have to worry about it. Now, what happened to me? What had happened to me is I had gone through it. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a human example. It's imprecise because I know that the Lord has a capacity to understand us, which is far, far greater. And, and, but sometimes I think the Lord did it knowing that he needed to create an avenue for our trust because we as humans are so untrusting. And the Lord knows that in our fallen nature. But he came to create an avenue for our trust in him. That even the most hardened heart, when they read the Gospels, that they might begin to see that here's somebody who had nothing on this world. And he went through a very difficult time for me. So that my heart might be softened to give him a chance. Now, sometimes, brothers and sisters, there are some of us who think he couldn't possibly understand me. And the Lord knows. He knew that there would be those of us who are this way. And so in order to prepare for this, the Bible tells us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that is to say that he needed to go to the lowest place so that there could be no man to come to him to say, you couldn't understand where I've been. The Lord's intention was that I am going to go to the very end. So no matter who comes, they're going to find in me someone who can listen and understand. Now, brothers and sisters, I honestly believe that the Lord has the extraordinary capacity to know the, the, the sons of men and women and our struggles. But in order to create the avenue for us, he came this way. He learned. He was made perfect as our advocate. And, and so um, that we might then begin to have our faith grow, to let go of the control of our life and experience victory and trusting in him. So brothers and sisters, he came this way. Uh, he walked uh, on our ways and uh, he carried burdens. So it brings us to our last point, which is Hebrews chapter, uh, it's three sets of verses, Hebrews chapter two, Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then in chapter 4, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And lastly, and this is my favorite verse of these verses, um, chapter 7, verse 25. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. So brothers and sisters, this last portion is to share about the intercessor. Now, what does that mean? The intercessor is the one who is praying for us. And so the son, the son of man's experience is here on the earth. In Hebrews chapter four, it said the son of God passed through the heavens. He came down. The son of God became the son of man in order to be, among other things, uh, trained to be our high priest. And we remember the Old Testament that the high priest, when he would go into the uh, presence of God, he would adorn himself with these onyx stones on his shoulders. These onyx stones had on it the names of the tribes. And so basically what was happening, he was, he was carrying with him into the presence of God all of our names, all of our all of the burdens of, of, of the people. And so he would robe himself in the people. He was, uh, and so our Lord was the same. The Lord robed himself in his people. He represented us as he went in. He was made like us in all things. And he suffered so that he could sympathize. He could suffer with us in the challenges of our life. And when he goes in, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, that he remembers us in the presence of the Father uh, with these intercessory prayers. And uh, it's wonderful how it's described. He is forever, uh, I, I got it, it's so good. I, let, let's just say, it. if you've got your finger there, turn to it again. S chapter seven. He is forever, he is, he is able to save forever, forever those who draw near to God through him. That will never change. That forever, all he will be there to save us. And then he is always living to make intercession for us. Now, forever speaks a little bit of, you know, this look to the future. But always, always is the con continuous now, the continuous present. You know, what the Bible's telling us about this son of man who became our, who, who the son of God, who came through the heavens to be a son of man, who was suffered for us to become our high priest. He is always living, the continuous present to make intercession for us. So he is always praying for you. And he is always praying for me. Now, the marvel of this, brothers and sisters, is even now in this moment, as I'm looking at a screen, reading notes and sharing with the Lord is, has us in his heart and he's, he's strengthening us through prayers. And are the prayers of the son of God, effective prayers. And they are his prayers. They have a way of aligning the present moment, the present moment's difficulty, not only with deliverance, but with purpose. He prays for us in one prayer. And if we look through his prayers, if we think as example, when he was praying for Peter at the end of his life, when Peter was going to de deny him three times, at the, at the end of the Lord's life, when, when Peter was going to deny him three times, he said, I've been praying for you that your faith won't fail and that you're going to turn again. And when you turn again, that you're going to strengthen your brothers. And the purpose of it was his prayers for us are not just to escape the difficulty. His prayers align our difficulties to his purpose. And he is always praying such a prayer for us. It is not only to comfort us, but it is to prepare us. And his prayers for us are not for the absence of trials. His prayers are not that we might be removed out of the world, but his prayers are more that we might see ourselves in the light of who he sees us as that he would deliver us from ourselves and deliver us from this world and give us that vision of where he is bringing us and, and enable us to move forward. His prayers are every day. It's the continuous daily present that he is praying for us. And why is this victory? Brothers and sisters, how many of us would not make it were it not for the faithful prayers of our high priest who came the son of God became the son of man who became our high priest. So brothers and sisters, this is for all of us. And every moment that those prayers empower us, whether they are to deny ourselves or to call to him 
to pray for a brother or sister. These are normal, small victories, it may seem, but they're all victories unto that victory that he is, he is leading us forward and strengthening us. So brothers and sisters, this is the son of man. He was the son of God who became the son of man and so many purposes were fulfilled. But on that day, when the Lord Jesus was crucified and, um, and, um, and they took down his broken body, um, was that the end? Was the son of man now no longer um, within our grasp? Well, we thank the Lord because just a number of days later, when they were in a room with the door shut and Thomas was there, Thomas hadn't been with them earlier before seeing the Lord. And Thomas was there. Thomas told them, you know, unless I can put my finger into the hole in his hands and take my hand and put it into the, into the injury in his, th- in his, in his flank, I'm not going to believe. And then without the doors opening, the Lord, the Lord came into Peter. I'm sorry. The Lord came into uh, to, to 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 Thomas, and when he came to Thomas, he said, to "Thomas, he said, be not unbelieving, but be believing." And what Thomas saw at that moment, which we all see, is there's something that's wonderful that's happened. The Son of Man, he did not die, and that today. In the heavens, on the throne, is the Son of Man. And all of the things that he experienced for us and went through for us, and as our high priest, he is sitting on the throne. And when Stephen, when Stephen was uh, about to be martyred, and they were, um, and, and he, called, he prayed for those who were, who, were, who were going to kill him, and he looked up into heaven, And the heavens were opened, and standing in the heavens was the Son of Man. And so what we see here, brothers and sisters, is there's a Son of Man in the glory. And his life is for me, as that song so wonderfully says. And so today, it is a victory for us that no matter what is uh, happening, that there is someone who is on the throne and the one who is on the throne, he is the son of man. And he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he is always living to make intercession for us. So brothers and sisters, it feels like there is no daily victory, but the Lord has won a victory. And in his coming as the son of man, that was secured, and that can't be taken away from any of us. So remember, if you are lost, someone is looking for you, and he is here to serve us so that he is equipping the house of God. And he came now every day. He is, he is our advocate, our best advocate for his purpose. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time that you have given to us and your faithful faithfulness to all of us. Lord, we pray you would open our eyes to the things that you are doing, building up. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn your video off, David. Okay. I'm not sure how to... Okay. Hi, brothers and sisters. Uh, we're grateful for what the Lord just spoke through our brother David and look forward to this, his second message tomorrow afternoon. Um, because we had a technical difficulty getting this thing started, uh, I had to redirect you. Just want to point out that after this meeting is completely finished, after a certain period of time, um, you will be able to go back to the link and start restart the message. Uh, and that way you can pick up anything you missed at the beginning. Um, also important that the website messages page is updated and correct. 
So you can go to there to re-listen to this one. And of course, and tomorrow afternoon, uh, that will be there. And a note to those who are registered and are part of the, the conference and normally meeting in Zoom, um, just wanna let you know that for this evening's time, if you're involved in the adult ministry, please use the link that's on the main webpage on northeastchristianconference.org messages page. Use the link for tonight there. Um, the one in your email is, is um, outdated. So that's, that's for tonight. And um, we'll do further announcements for those attending the other meetings, but that's what we have for the current time. And so now we will go ahead and dismiss our meeting. Thank the Lord for speaking to us. Let's take his word to heart in our own individual prayer. And for those who um, uh, uh, that are registered, we will be meeting in, go directly to your uh, meeting room at four, four o'clock. Thank you. We're dismissed at this point.